In many ways, this is a story about how not to respond to Jesus. John 5, this story that begins this chapter, is a story in many ways about how not to respond to Jesus Christ. One of the reasons why God gave us this story in the scriptures is to show us how some people responded poorly to Jesus so that we can learn from what they did wrong. Now, that actually happens a lot in the Gospels, especially in these middle parts of the story, when Jesus begins to have more and more conflict with the Jewish religious authorities. That conflict already started back in chapter 2 when Jesus cleared out the temple. Remember that? But it continues here to grow and to grow and to grow. In our passage for today, it grows to the point where they are ready, they're already starting to try to kill him. How not to respond to Jesus. Am I right? But I'm getting ahead of the story. The story begins with a miracle. Let's go back to chapter 5, verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Now stop there for just a second and get the picture in your mind's eye of this place. Jesus has returned to the south. Remember, he had made his way up north, and now he's back in the south at some point. We don't know exactly when, but for a feast of the Jews in Jerusalem. We're not sure exactly which feast. It doesn't actually matter for this story. What matters is that Jesus is there. And he's not just in Jerusalem, he's visiting the pool of Bethesda, which probably means the house of mercy, which is a great name for this particular place because there's a lot of suffering here, a lot of need for mercy. There was this pool near the sheep gate and it had five covered colonnades, which are, they're like rows of columns with a a roof over them, so it's shade, Right? These walkways around uh, this, this pool for shade for those that are walking or laying under them. Many scholars believe this is the same place as the two pools near St. Anne's Church in modern day Jerusalem. If so, then the pool was about as large as a football field and as much as 20 feet deep in places. And there were hundreds, maybe thousands, of disabled people lying around it. John says, a great number. Some were blind. Most could not move on their own. They were paralyzed or too weak to walk. This must have been a very sad place. This was not a hospital. This was a place where people went after they'd gone to the hospital and there was nothing more the doctors could do. They couldn't work. They weren't getting better. They were just there. It says they lied there. I'm not surprised to find Jesus there, are you? Jesus always waded into places of suffering. You and I might be tempted to avoid a place like that, but I'm not surprised to see Jesus there. Now, apparently, one of the reasons why these people hung out there was that they believed that there was power in the pool. Some of you have an extra verse in your Bible that was probably added later, not by John, that says something like, these people were waiting for the moving of the waters. 
Because an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. Those words are not in the earliest and best manuscripts of the Gospel of John, so they were probably not written by John. These words are not in the earliest and best manuscripts, so they were probably not written by John, but put in there later by a scribe who wanted to help readers understand why these folks were gathered around this pool. It's likely that the pool was fed with an underground spring, so from time to time the waters did bubble, and it would be easy for people to latch onto that and hope it meant an angel would heal the first person in. There was power in the pool. People will latch on to all kinds of things when there's very little hope. Well, Jesus was there and saw all this, and he specifically saw one man who had been lying there for, what did Keegan say? 38 years. Almost four decades of lying there. Powerless, weak, perhaps paralyzed, unable to get around on his own. Look at verse 5. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Isn't that an interesting thing for Jesus to ask? I mean, you you might think it's obvious, right? And maybe it was. Maybe that was a no-brainer. Of course he wanted to be well, to be whole, to be healed. Who wouldn't? But Jesus doesn't tend to ask no-brainers, does he? He tends to ask full-brainers. Jesus often asks questions to get at our hearts. Do you want to get well? If this man was healed, his whole life would change. For one thing, he'd have to go to work. He had been on disability for 38 years. He's had to live on the charity of others for four decades. Now we don't know how old he was. Maybe that's all of his life. His identity would change. He would no longer be defined by his disability, which sounds great, but who would he be now? Does he even want to find out? He has not sought out Jesus. Jesus has picked out him. And so Jesus asks him, do you want to get well? And you and I know that all of Jesus' healings are are just a foretaste, a picture of the greatest healing ever, a greater healing, healing from our sins, salvation. So I think this is a great question for us to hear Jesus asking you and me as well. Do we want to get well? Do you want to be saved? Do you want ultimate healing? Do you really want your life to change? Do you? This man does want to be healed. He says that's why he's there in the first place. Verse 7, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. See, he obviously knows the tradition of what they think is going on with power in the pool. He obviously doesn't know to whom he's talking. He's fixated on how he can't get the power in the pool. He doesn't realize the power of the person right in front of him. But he clearly does want to be healed. So Jesus just heals him. He doesn't ask him to believe in him. He doesn't get him over to the pool. Well, here, let me help you. Just like last week, Jesus just says the word 
and it happens. The Word gives the Word, and it comes to pass. Amen? Verse 8, sermon title is, Take Up Your Mat and Walk. Right? Look at verse 8. Then Jesus said to him, Get up. I love when Keegan punched that. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. (laughs) Can you imagine that moment? I just about can't. For 38 years, his legs did not work. And Jesus just said, get up. And he could get up. Jesus said, walk, and he could walk. And he knew it immediately. Like he could tell. It was just at once it says, bam! He could stand up and walk. Can you imagine that? He's laying there. And then he stands up and he walks around. Like that guy in Acts chapter 3 when he went walking and leaping and praising God. I could just, I can't even imagine what this must have been like for him. This moment in his life. This man was living what had been his dream. And everyone around him praised God and began to trust in Jesus. Uh, no. That's not what happened. Remember, this is a story about how not to respond to Jesus. Verse 10 says that this man quickly encountered people who got angry that he had been healed. Because of the day when Jesus did the healing. Look at the end of verse 9. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Uh Uh-oh. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Yes, you heard that right. The Jewish religious leaders find this guy taking a stroll on the Sabbath, and they get in his face about it. It's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. I'm like, that's your takeaway? That's that's what you're focused on in this moment? I've got three points of application I want to make this morning about how not to respond poorly to Jesus. And here's the first one. Don't miss Jesus' power. Don't miss the power of Jesus. These guys are totally blind to what Jesus has just done. They don't even see it. All they see is this guy carrying his straw mat on a Saturday morning. And they miss what's happened to him. The guy tries to tell them, look at verse 11. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. I I was just healed. Look at me. From 38 years of paralysis. Yesterday, I couldn't do this. This man made me whole again, and he said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So I picked up my mat and walked. So what part of that thing that he just said did they hear? All they heard was that some guy told him to break their rules. That's all they hear. Look at verse 12. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Now, just for the record, it was not against the law to carry a mat on the Sabbath. You won't find those words in the Old Testament. The law forbid work on the Sabbath, 
So if you are a professional mover, you probably shouldn't have been carrying beds around, getting paid for it. You need to take that day to rest. It was a day of rest given to the people to rest. It was for them. But the Jews had made all kinds of rules about the law to make sure that no one ever got anywhere close to breaking the law, though they had plenty of loopholes for themselves when it suited them too. And one of their rules was to not take possessions from one place to another on the Sabbath. And this guy was taking his bed somewhere. They were missing the point of the Sabbath. But even worse, they were missing the power of Jesus altogether. Who does he think he is telling you to carry something on the Sabbath? I don't know. Maybe the guy who just worked an amazing miracle with nothing but a simple sentence. Pick up your mat and walk. And look at me walk. There are a lot of ways that we can miss the power of Jesus. The man who was healed might have missed the power of Jesus altogether if he had said he didn't want to be healed after all. The Jews missed the power of Jesus because they were focused on their rules. You and I might miss the power of Jesus because we just don't slow down enough to see it. One of the great things about the Thanksgiving holiday is that we are given an opportunity to slow down and think about all the amazing, wonderful things that Jesus has done for us. It's so easy to take them for granted. Count your many blessings. Count them one by one. It strikes me that this man never thanks Jesus in this story. At this point in the story, he hasn't even learned his name. But it's nothing like how hard-hearted these leaders were. They heard about this healing, and all they could think about was how their rules were being broken. They should be praising God and seeking out and following Jesus. But instead, they're locked in bitterness and focused on themselves. Don't miss Jesus' power. And number two, don't miss Jesus' point. The point of the Sabbath or the point of his healing. Jesus runs into this man once again later on. We don't know how much time has passed. But the man is still healed. He's still walking around. He's, he's actually in the temple courts. And Jesus finds him and has a warning for him this time. Not a question, but a warning. Look at verse 14. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. Ooh. Those are ominous words, aren't they? They're supposed to be. The last time these two people met, Jesus said, Do you want to get well? And this time Jesus says, see, you are well. So he reminds this man of what Jesus did for him. But Jesus says, that's nothing compared to what is coming if you do not repent. Your suffering of being paralyzed was nothing compared to what that suffering represents. Judgment. Something much worse. Jesus, I don't think Jesus is saying that if this man continues in his sins that he'll be paralyzed again. That's possible, of course, especially if his sins are dangerous ones. But he's saying that just like the healing was a foretaste of something glorious to come, his past suffering was a foretaste of something dreadful that is coming. 
for all who remain in their sins. That's the point. We get fixated on the healing and we miss what it's pointing towards. We get fixated on the physical suffering and we miss what it is pointing towards as well. And Jesus says, don't miss the point. Repent. Remember, Jesus is after our hearts. He cares about our body, sure. He wants them to be well. But just like we saw last week, Jesus has something much more important in mind than our physical health and life. He's aimed at our spiritual health and life. Stop sinning. Or something worse may happen to you. Something like hell. Now, of course, we can't just stop sinning like turning off a faucet or switching off the lights. But we can repent of our sins and trust in Jesus for salvation and sanctification. We can turn away from whatever sins have had us in their grip and take an off-ramp through faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross and at the empty tomb. What sins do you need to stop? What changes do you need to make in your life if you're going to follow Jesus by faith? Stop sinning. You can't just do it yourself any more than this guy could have gotten himself into the pool himself. But Jesus is there to heal, not just our bodies, but our souls. He can give us the power to say no to temptation and by faith to live holy lives that please Him. That's the point. That's the point of all of God's good gifts that He's given to you and me. It'd be easy to go into Thanksgiving week and praise Jesus for all of his gifts and then turn around and use all those gifts for selfish, sinful purposes. Thanks for all the gifts. Wait till you see how I use them. But Jesus gives us his gifts to enjoy and to show love with and to be holy with. Don't miss the point. See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. You don't want to go to hell. Stop. Now, I don't know if this guy did that. I just kind of always assumed he did, but there's no evidence in the story. I, I don't know what he did with the healing that Jesus gave him. I don't know what he did with the warning that Jesus gave him either. He's not really a great example even here, it doesn't say that he was grateful. Once he learns Jesus' name, he actually, it looks like he turns tattletale on Jesus. Look at verse 15. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. You wanted to know his name? Well, it's Jesus. Now, it's good that he gives Jesus the credit. That's great. He didn't say, well, I made myself well. Or it was some angel in some pool. But it almost feels like he's giving him the blame. There's no mistaking who it was who had healed this man. It was Jesus. Which leads us to number three and last. Don't miss Jesus' person. Don't miss who Jesus really is. This man has identified his healer as Jesus. And that healing took place on a Sabbath. So that puts Jesus directly in the crosshairs of the Jewish religious authorities. Look at verse 16. So... Because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. <laughs> Apparently, it would have been okay if an angel had healed the man in a pool on a Saturday. 
But it wasn't any good for Jesus to do it with a word on a Sabbath, especially if he was telling people to walk around with their mat in their hands on that day. Oh, no, not that. So the Jews press in. We don't know exactly what the persecution looked like. It was harassment, at least, at this point. So how do you think Jesus is going to take this? They're turning up the heat on him. How how do you think Jesus is going to respond to their persecution? Do you think Jesus will apologize? I'm sorry. I was just trying to help. No. Do you think Jesus will defend himself? Well, let me try to explain how my actions actually fit within your rules. No. Do you think that Jesus will instead go on the offensive himself? Yeah. Look at verses 17 and 18. Jesus said to those persecuting him, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Don't miss the person of Jesus. Now we're going to get into this more next week and the following week, Lord willing. It's some great stuff. But here's the basic logic. God rested on the Sabbath day, the first one, right? Right. But he also has to kind of work on the Sabbath day. Or we're all in a world of hurt, right? If God stops his work of holding the world together, then everything goes to pot, right? So God can't break the Sabbath. He's Lord of the Sabbath. And Jesus says, yep, and he's my dad. My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. That's quite a statement. You see, the Jews were not wrong about who Jesus is claiming to be. They get it right in verse 18. He keeps calling God his father in a way that you and I can't. When we say God our father, we don't mean it like Jesus meant it. He's he's God the monogenes, right? He's God the one and only. We saw in chapter 1 and in chapter 3. He he keeps calling God a father that you and I, in a way that you and I can't, in a way that only the one and only can call him father. They're right about that. They're just wrong in believing that Jesus was wrong. Jesus says, yeah, I was working on the Sabbath. That's what God does. So it's what the Son of God does. It's what God the Son should be doing. So yeah, you've got it right. I am saying that I am God the Son. And that makes him equal with God. Don't miss that. Don't miss that Jesus is not just some healer. He's not just the Messiah. He isn't just the Son of God. He's God the Son. That's why they want to kill him. Because they think he was blaspheming. Because this is who he says he is. Which leads us to answer the question for ourselves. Who do you believe Jesus is? So this is how not to respond to Jesus. Don't miss his power. Don't miss his point. Don't miss his person. Because the power is not in the pool. The power is in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's worship.